Father, that's what we want to do this morning, Lord, is just exalt your presence. God, you are in this room. There is no question. And as a congregation, as a body right now, Lord, Lord, we say yes, Jesus. Come on, people. We say yes, Jesus, this morning. Because if you're here, there's nothing else that should come out of our mouth, Father. If you're here, we should praise your name. We should praise who you are. We should worship and magnify you, Father. Lift you up. Yes, Jesus. Come on, church. Yes, Jesus. We come in agreement this morning, Lord, that you are who you say you are. And Father, you tell us who we are in you. And Father, I thank you so much that all you have to do is whisper. And we are completely undone. All you have to say is, son, I am here. Daughter, I am here. And immediately everything that we've been thinking about, everything that we've been going through, Father, it just falls away. Because of your presence. There's nothing like being in your presence. Father, this morning I pray that there is a response to you being next to us. Standing up. Putting our hand up. Responding to the unction that's in our heart. Coming to the altar. No matter what it is, Lord, I pray that we're arrested and we have an experience with you this morning. So, Father, we love you. We need you. Be here. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, I've already said it a bunch of times. Jesus is in the room. Amen. And he's here, I believe, because of our hearts. I really do. Uh, I think he's here because the true worshipers were brought forward this morning. And I just want to thank you for that. Um, I so appreciate when I can look up from the, the piano or the, the keys and people got their hands up. And it's just, man, that gives me chills looking at y'all respond to the Holy Spirit. So, yes, Jesus is in the room. Now, with Jesus being in the room... Um, he's going to do something, right? Yeah, it's going to be good. Um, that's a Rick statement. It's going to be good, right? For any of you who meet with Rick on a regular basis, you hear that quite a bit. This morning, obviously continuing, excuse me, in the book of Romans, um, but the scripture set that you see in your bulletin is basically two-thirds of the chapter of of Romans. Uh, Romans 11, excuse me. Now, I'm only reaching back to Romans 1, uh, Romans 11 verse 1. It should be through verse 24. I messed up and sent 25 to our front office administrator, so that's my fault. It's 1 through 24. But the reason why I'm reaching back just a little bit is because as I was kind of listening to Beck preach, who did an amazing job, amen, right? Yeah. We're very lucky to have a teacher like him here. Um, I'm reaching back to this moment in time where Elijah, um, in the Old Testament, it's in 1 Kings, has an encounter with uh, basically the Israelites. And what we see him refer to, excuse me, what we see Paul refer to in this chapter 11 is this moment. And I don't necessarily think that we've missed it. That's not it. But there's something in there that helps us catapult into verses 11 through 24. Now, I'm not going to go back and read verses 1 through 10. I'm not going to do that this morning. However, 
what I do want to tell you is that in verses, uh, let's see here, three, where the, this, uh, um, Paul refers to Elijah in the Old Testament saying this in verse three, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left. And they are seeking, seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now, I want to go back and look at this story. Because there's something in there that I believe is so pivotal to our willingness. Or let me say this. Our next step. I've been talking to you guys a lot about, okay, what, what, what's going to allow us to get, get to the next step? The fear of the Lord, intimacy. We've been talking about that, right? Well, I'm just adding more to that. I'm adding more to what it's going to take for us to either get over the obstacle, to get on the other side. The grass is greener over there. Well, how, however you want to say it. Um, I believe that this is something that needs to be brought out this morning. But if you don't know this story of Elijah... It's, it's a good one. It is so good. Now, I'm going to do the best I can to paraphrase it in Alex's language. Because if I was to go back and read the scripture, and this sounds so bad to say this, because I'm always about the scripture, not about how I say things. And here I am saying, I'm going to say it my way. <laughs> it's, it's two and a half chapters. And I don't want to just read all through that. But I'm just going to kind of um, paraphrase it for you. Elijah has an encounter with Israel and 450 prophets of the God named Baal, right? This is, in, this is back in 1 Kings, if I'm correct in saying it. Is it 1st or 2nd Kings? What did I put on the... 1st. I get those mixed up so, so much. 1st Kings. Um, and what you see in that story is there's, there's kind of like a... just a, a, an encounter on the, the Mount Carmel. Carmel. I almost said caramel. So that's why I tripped over that one. It's caramel. And Elijah is walking up to these people and he's confronting them with a statement, which the very first statement comes at us like, oh my goodness, do I do that? He says to these people, how much longer are you going to be divided? And he's speaking to these people saying, either you're going to choose God as God and he will be God, or you're going to choose Baal. But let's just make a decision. So even in the opening part of this story, are we going to let money be a God? How, how many times are we going to choose between God and something else in our life? I want to ask you that question this morning. But as you get into this story, what he says, what Elijah says to these 450 prophets of Baal is he's like, well, let's just, let's have a competition almost. All right. According to the customs, let's, each get an ox, and we'll, we'll prepare the ox for sacrifice. And we're going to put this ox, this sacrifice, on this pile of wood. And what I want you to do, he's speaking to these people, is don't light it on fire, though. Prepare it the way it's supposed to be prepared. I'll prepare it the same way so that there's no um, misunderstanding in that whole process. Put this on the altar, and then call to your God, Baal, and we'll see who lights this fire. Now, Elijah kind of cracks me up in some of this story. 
Because these 450 prophets, they do exactly what Elijah says. They prepare this, this ox. They put it onto this altar. And in the morning, they start dancing around and chanting and calling on Baal. And to be honest with you, like, uh, yeah, it, that would just be funny to watch. And I can just see Elijah sitting back in what a, a, uh, a lawn chair would look like back then, just with his arms crossed, watching these people do this, these 450 prophets screaming out into nothing, pretty much. And then he comes with a comment that I, I think is just, it's funny, he's like egging them on. He says, well, maybe the god Baal isn't at home right now. Maybe he's left his post. <laughs> maybe you need to shout louder. <laughs> just kind of like, you know, egging them on a little bit. And so that's exactly what they do. They say, challenge accepted. And now, they start cutting themselves. They start getting, they take it from like zero to 100, okay? Now, I'm sure Elijah over there is just like, oh my gosh, these people, what is going on? But they get exhausted calling on this false god. They get exhausted, like, maiming themselves to get this false god to show up. Now, in that picture right there, how often do we beat ourselves up to the point where we're unrecognizable because we're trying to call on a God that cannot save us? That is huge. There's just so much in this story. Well, they get to a point, it's noon, nothing happened, three o'clock, nothing happened, end of the day, nothing happened. They're exhausted. They're done. Elijah says, all right, my turn. Let me jump in. Now, this part of the story is, is just so perfect because what Elijah does is he not only builds the altar and puts the ox on the, um, this pile of wood, he digs a trough around this thing and he tells him, I'm going to one-up you. Let me go get four buckets of water. Pour it on the water. Or excuse me, pour it on the, the wood. And he's like, all right, well, let's take it one more step. Do it a second time. Let's take it one more step. Do it a third time. By all practical means, that wood should not light on fire. By all practical means, he should be made a fool. By all practical means, God shouldn't show up. By all practical means, things are happening in my life, but it doesn't seem like the Lord is listening. By all practical means, it shouldn't happen. But can you imagine sitting there and watching this happen as Elijah prays, Lord, show them that you are God. And just, just like the finger of God, fire comes down and lights this thing up. It's an amazing story. But here's what happens afterwards. He kills the 450 prophets of Baal. Just, beep, done. Kills them all. Well, at the time it was, the king at the time was Ahab and Jezebel, the king and the queen. Jezebel finds Elijah and says, look, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to do the same thing to you. Basically saying, you killed my prophets, I'm coming after you. I am coming after you. So this boy is on the run. He's on the run. He finds himself laying down underneath a tree. And an angel taps on his shoulder and says, arise, eat. So he does that. He eats. He goes back to sleep. Taps on his shoulder a second time. Arise and eat and right in front of him is provision now that provision is for something okay I want to give you this story because it makes so much sense when we connect it back to Romans he says to him this, uh, this angel says to Elijah you need to eat because the journey is too hard for you 
Now the journey that he was about to go on, it says in scripture, was 40 days and 40 nights to this cave where he was going to experience God. And we'll get to that. But I want you to know, in the moment right now, when the Lord, the moment that you are in, right, the situation that you're in right now, the journey to when you are going to experience the Lord, he provides for you to get there. Does that make sense this morning? His provision, like Beck was talking about this table of grace. This provision goes so deep that even in your pursuit of Christ, he will provide the energy enough to get to him. But guess what? We can't get to him in our own strength. He's speaking to Elijah saying, look, man, I know what you need. You're running from these people. But in order to get to me, let me provide for you what you need even to get to my feet. So he finds himself in a cave, right? 40 days, 40 nights later. And the Lord speaks to this man. Now, before I go into this, the title of this message says, Undone by a still, small voice. That title is something that I want you guys to carry out of here. I want you to carry scripture more so than stories or a, a w title that I deem fit for the morning. But hang on to that. Elijah's in this cave. And you have to understand, Elijah is a prophet. What is a prophet? A prophet is the mouthpiece of God. Elijah's entire life and purpose, everything that he poured himself into, was to speak the word of God to people. To speak the word of God to Israel. That's what he woke up in the morning doing. That's what he went to sleep laying on his head thinking about. Are you with me? He's in this cave, and the Lord speaks to him. He speaks to him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? In essence, why are you hiding? What is the purpose of you hiding? Now, God knew the answer to that question before he asked it. He brings Elijah to the front of the cave, and he brings this mighty wind, and this is on a mountain. Read this in uh, 1 Kings 18, 19, and 20. And this wind begins to ravage this mountain. This is a wind brought by God. And it is shaking everything. The next thing that comes is an earthquake. And the earthquake undoes the mountain. I'm sure there's rocks flying all over the place. Elijah can't even stand up. And then the Lord brings one more. The fire. He brings a wind. He brings an earthquake. And he brings a fire. All demonstrations of the power of God. But in the scripture it says that God wasn't in the fire. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the wind. But right after that, it says this. It says a gentle blowing presented itself. And it was at that moment, before the Lord said something to Elijah, that he covered his face. Do you know what that means? That means that he humbled himself. He covered his mantle because he knew he was about to be in the presence of God. This gentle blowing, almost like a loud silence, came over this man. And Jesus, excuse me, God says to this man, Elisha, what are you doing here? It was at that moment right there that Elijah realized that the Lord was speaking directly to his heart. 
and it undid him. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we want God to come like a mighty wind. We want him to come like an earthquake and shake our situation. We want a demonstration of power. Look, God, this is what I did. I doused this thing with water and you came down and you lit it up and nobody changed. The demonstration that you did through me wasn't effective. Now I'm going to run. Now I'm going to hide in this cave. Lord, they killed your prophets. They destroyed your altar. Now they're trying to come after me. Bring the demonstration of power. You know what he needed to do? God needed to speak to Elijah in a still, small voice. And allow this boy to be undone by that alone. It is one of the most powerful things in all of creation. To have Jesus Christ speak exactly right to your heart, right to your issue. And for us to be willing to let him undo us. Are you with me this morning? Is it, I mean, anybody, are you with me? Now what happens after this, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 24 so that we get this text. But what happens right after this is the Lord gives Elijah some instructions. He says, go anoint a new king of Israel and go find somebody to replace you as a prophet. And then this is the cross reference. Can we get that up there? At the end of this whole story, he says this to him. And this is what connects us back to Romans 11. Now, the cross reference should be first king. Can we get first kings up there? Yeah. Uh, 19. Verses, I'm going to read verse 13 and 18. It says this. Verse 13 says this. This was the part. Let me just skip to 18 because I already talked about the mantle. So this is 1 Kings 19 verse 18. It says this. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now, Elijah's a prophet, right? He is in a place where he feels like he has failed as a prophet. Nobody has heard my voice. Nobody has heard your voice, God, because they're all after me trying to kill me. I don't know about you guys, but how many times have you been in a place where you feel like you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you just can't do it? You feel like you're failing. You start beating yourself up to a point where you're saying, you're not good at this anymore. The Lord spoke to Elijah and said, look man, I want you to understand that there's 7,000 who were undone by a still small voice as well. I want you to know that there's 7,000 who heard what you were saying. And I want you to know that my work is being accomplished through you. The reason why that story is so important for us as we move on in Romans 8 is because we can cry out to God and say, here's my circumstance. They're after me. I'm failing at this. And he will say to us in a divine response like it says in Romans but I don't want you to understand. There's 7,000 who did hear. There's 7,000 who listened to the still small voice, the whisper, and they did not cross over to the things that looked good but weren't truth. 
Now, Beth brought something up last week. He said he believes the remnant is in this room. I'm 100% in agreement with that. Because this is what it says in Romans. And this is, if we can get to Romans uh, 11, verse 5. After Paul quotes the Old Testament, he says, in the same way. In the same way then. There has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. This one is connected to grace and how so beautifully it was put out for us last week, this table of grace. What is that grace? That grace is Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. Being undone by Jesus is what makes us the remnant today in this room. Do you want to be a part of the remnant? If you've said yes to Jesus, you are a part of the remnant. You, are, are you with me today, this morning? I want to encourage you to be undone, to let yourself be undone by a still, small voice. But let me read this, 11. I'm just going to go through these, these scriptures. I'm not going to read them all at once and then come back for the sake of time. Um, but I'm just going to read them and go through them. In verse tw uh, 11, it says this. He's speaking now to the Gentiles, okay? After all of that. He says, I say then, they, meaning Israel, did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But their transgression, salvation, has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now that word in the Greek means to provoke. Now if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Um, can you find some tissues for me real quick? Thank you. Realize what this scripture is saying here. This is, this is not necessarily saying the Jews' loss is the Gentiles' gain. Because you can interpret it that way. That word jealous, provoke, meant to provoke back to something. Okay? Thank you so much. The salvation of the Gentiles was meant to say to the Jews, look at what it's like to walk with God. To walk with Jesus. And be this example. And come back to that. Come back to the other side. In essence saying the grass is greener on the other side. Right? Well, let me make this statement. It only works if the grass is greener. It's not going to be enticing if the grass ain't green. So the reason why the Jews didn't come back is because the Gentiles weren't living right even though they had salvation. What does that sound like? Sounds like the modern day church, doesn't it? My goodness. I've been on so many athletic teams where those who were supposed to lead wouldn't. So that means those who tried to lead couldn't. It was not the Gentiles' purpose to carry the gospel to the rest of the world. However, they were a uh, beneficiary of that, of the Jews rejecting the gospel. However, it was not their purpose to do so. And here's what this scripture says in um, uh, verse 12. Uh, now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, and how much more, how much more, I'm going to say it again, how much more will their fulfillment be? What would it look like if Israel woke up? What would it look like 
if those who were supposed to lead led? What would it look like if those who were supposed to be followers of Christ followed him? What would it look like if you were undone by a still small voice? The Lord is saying, man, you're bearing fruit right now. It's great. But what would it look like if you did it my way? What would it look like if you were undone by a still small voice and you let Christ get you? There would be no more back and forth. There would be no more gray area. It'd be black and white. Pick one, whatever side. Just like Elijah was saying, and I'm saying to you this morning, pick one. Let yourself be undone by a still, small voice. Are you with me this morning, church? The rest of the scripture, verse 13, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am an apostle of, Gen- of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy, another provoking statement, my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? I want you to know that the Lord's going to get glorified no matter what. Us in the process, we can either get kind of crushed <laughs> or we can be connected to the fellowship of his suffering, which is way better than the fellowship of the suffering of my flesh. In my flesh. Are you with me this morning? It says this, if the first, verse 16, if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also And if the root is holy, the branches are too. Now, Paul from 17 to 24 uses his own analogy. And I love it because, you know, I don't have to come up with one. Amen. It's in scripture. I don't have to do much here. But simply just read it. And this is, this can be a a famous scripture that connects back to, um, I am the vine, you are the branches. John 15, 5. All right. But it says this, but if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive, the Gentiles, were grafted in among them, the Jews, and became partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree. What is the rich root? That is Jesus. I mean, yeah, we can shout that one out. There's nothing wrong with shouting out Jesus. What is the rich root? Come on now. There it is. Hallelujah. The rich root of the olive tree. It says this, do not be arrogant toward the branches. This is a whole nother preaching that I may get into next week because this is actually the first time that I've said, hey, we might have to come back and we actually came back to the scripture. <laughs> but this is saying we better watch our attitude towards Israel. You know, our president and presidents before, how we treat Israel is, is an issue. It's important because God is serious about protecting his people, about making sure he gets from his people what he put in them. If you don't believe me, go back to Genesis 12, 3, and he speaks right to it. I'm not going to flip back there right now. But what's being brought up here is this picture of When we are undone, just imagine what it could be. And I hope that provokes you in a good way back to Jesus. 
in those times, in those moments, in those places in your life where you know it's hard. Now, I'm, sh I'm speaking to the shifting butts in the seats because I, I might be saying some things that are convicting. It's not me, it's the scripture. And I hope the butts shift. I want you to be provoked back to Christ by the power of the word. Don't be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. <laughs> we don't support Jesus. Jesus supports us. Does he want our worship? Yes. He does. Does he want all of us? Yes. But realize, man, everything in us comes from him. Everything. Those may be cliche churchy statements, but they're the truth. So help me God. I want those to be able to sink in this morning. <laughs> you will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Verse 20, quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. And you want to know what unbelief and their consequences look like? Go back to Romans, the first chapter of Romans. And you'll be able to read about that in great detail from verse 18 through the end of chapter 1. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you. If he didn't spare Israel, he ain't going to spare the United States. If he didn't spare Israel, he's not going to spare any other country in this world. He's just not going to. But I love that there's more to this story. Don't think God won't cut you off. I don't want to be cut off. Now, he doesn't separate us from his love. Okay, we have to take all the counsel of scripture into understanding here. He doesn't cut you off, set you off in the corner and just, you know, turn his back and be that. The guy's just not going to pay attention to you. But what he is saying is that if you're not connected to me, how can I come through you? How can I work through you? If, you're, if we're not spending time, how can I use you as an example? He didn't even spare Israel. He's not going to spare you. But here is the glorious end to this. Number, uh, verse 22. Behold the kindness and severity of God. Two sides of the spectrum. To those who fail, severity. But to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness. The moment, ladies and gentlemen, that you and I were undone was the moment God got us, Jesus got us, and we gave our life to Christ. We realized in that moment, I can't do this anymore on my own. I just can't. But to continue to let yourself be undone, to continue in his kindness, the verse continues, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they, the Israelites nation of Israel also if they do not continue day by day living breathing being an example of unbelief just basically if they continue if they if they don't continue uh, in essence welcoming death into their life let's just make it real not denying themselves uh, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Hallelujah.
For if you were cut off from what is by nature an olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated tree, here we go again, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted in their own olive tree? How much more influential can you be when you let yourself be undone? How much more powerful can you be when you let yourself be unraveled the things that you have woven together that are contrary to Christ's character? You let yourself be undone? My goodness. Just imagine what it would look like. If he didn't spare Israel, he won't spare us. But he says, if they stop, you know what that is? That's repentance, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I'm going to use this story it's just the story of the prodigal son. I'm not going to jump into the whole thing because I know Beck loves this message, <laughs> this story. He's, he preaches that message like 13 times a year. And he's been here for 10 years, so that's what, 130 messages on the prodigal son? It's good stuff, right? It's a good start, right? It's the tip of the iceberg. But you guys know the beginning of this story. Son takes all of his dad's inheritance goes out and squanders it. The moment he finds himself face down in this pig trough, pig sty. Anybody been face down in a pig sty before? Like literally? No? I was going to say, how did you get there? Let's have coffee and you can tell me the story because I'm interested. But it's so easy for me to equate that to the, the brokenness in us, right? And I don't need to necessarily expand on that. But being face down in that which is not Jesus, inhaling probably pig feces. Think about it. You ever been there in your life? Goodness gracious. Everything you try to do, you took something that was glorious and you tried to make your own with it and you find yourself eating with the pigs, saying, there's got to be better than this. There's a moment in this story where this boy does one thing. He says he comes to his senses. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you can come to your senses. I can come to my senses. And I can get up. And I have freedom to walk anywhere I want to walk. If I don't walk towards the Father, there's an issue. Because I can get up and, and turn to something that isn't him. And guess what? I'll find myself in the same place. That's not repentance. That's a, that's a sorrow. You just... I'm saying I'm sorry and I'm feeling bad and I'll probably do it again next week. But this repentance that's being brought out here, being undone by a still small voice, brings you to a place of repentance where as you get up and you walk out of that pigsty, you run right to the Father. You go 180 degrees away from what you were doing, from what we were doing. That's what being undone by a still small voice looks like. It brings us to a place where we repent. And in that repentance, guess what? The Lord's saying, just imagine what I can do with you now. <laughs> because what? He can't look on sin, can he? He can't hang out in the same room with sin. Well, sin can't hang out in the same room with him. Let's say it that way. But I want to ask you this morning, as we bring our worship team back up here and get ready for our offering, I want to ask you this morning if that's something you're willing to do. <laughs> To be undone to the point of repentance. Being undone to the point where 
we realize that that moment of repentance isn't to continue to push you down. It's to say, imagine what can come out of you. Imagine the glorification of the Father and His throne that can come from you. How you can say things in a moment and it just, man, it kills the whole situation. There's waves and, man, the Lord speaks through you and it's just peace. Imagine how He could use you. If we would just be willing to be undone by a still small voice. Amen this morning? Chew on that, ladies and gentlemen. You guys can come up here. Huh? Let's just pray for this as we, as we uh, continue this morning. Father, God, I thank you so much for what you're doing in us. Lord, I thank you for your word and how it speaks to us so clearly about how you um, just want to handle your children. We praise your name for that. Father, this offering is for you. This offering goes to you. It's a worship to you. Father, we pray that you would bless it. Bless what gets put in there. Show us how to give with a joyful heart so that we can give back to you. We need you, Father, we do. In Jesus' name, amen. And go ahead and pass that. of the spirit is is too heavy to hold back and so Lord I pray that as, as we move from this place to our our respective jobs and schedules to do lists this next week next week it's Thanksgiving Lord and being thankful man there's so much that we can be thankful for but Lord what I am thankful for, as you tell us in, this, in these scriptures, imagine what it would be like. Because my plan is perfect. God, I'm convicted in this moment. Thank you so much for not answering my prayers. The ones that would have led me astray. The ones that would have taken me down a road where it wouldn't have been as great as if I would just have let myself be undone by you and let your perfect plan take place. God, thank you for the, the, uh, the text that didn't get sent. The calls that didn't get made. Sometimes, Lord, we got to thank you for what you haven't done because your plan is perfect. Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us and show us on a daily basis how good and how great you are. How perfect your plan is. But Lord, we want to experience that when we allow ourselves to be undone. So, Father, I pray that we go from here willing, just willing. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I'll be up here if you want to get prayed for, but if not, you guys are free to go.